Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Let's open up to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And our first three weeks together, what we did was look at uh, God's forgiveness of us. What it really means to be forgiven by God, to receive that, to experience that. And then really these last three weeks together, because... Next week will be our last week. We're looking at the teaching of Jesus, which is out of the overflow of our experience of the forgiveness from the Father, how we're supposed to practice forgiveness at more of the horizontal level. Okay, now, and so thematically, we're essentially picking up where we left off last week, right? Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, a little bit at Mark 11. The idea that a part of your normal daily prayer life ought to be, Lord, if, if anybody has sinned against me, I forgive them. You just forgive in your heart. Uh, and But Jesus taught on forgiveness a lot, which is another point that ought to make us think, maybe we don't think about it enough. Um, so, Matthew chapter 18, this is a fairly famous passage. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll talk about it. Matthew chapter 18, and it starts, it, it comes right after Jesus' teaching about uh, church discipline. What if you have a persevering sinner? And one person rebukes him, two per- people rebuke the sinner, they still don't repent. At some point, you actually excommunicate them. On the back end of that, Peter asks a question, and it's about repeat offenses and repeat forgiveness. And let's look at what Jesus has to say. So, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, just a little side note. Rab- rabbis in that day taught that you were supposed to give, forgive somebody three times. Same person, same offense, forgive them three times. It was kind of a bad interpretation off of a passage in Amos, but that's what they taught. And so Peter thinks he's being a hero in a sense. Hey, the rabbis, they do it three times, I'll do it seven. That's complete. That's more than double than them. He thinks he's super spiritual. Uh, Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. And summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So... First point, persevering forgiveness. What about repeat offenders? Okay? Because we may hear Peter's question, 
What if somebody does the exact same thing seven times in a row, and you're like, what's Peter thinking of? Marriage? Uh, parenting? Right? I mean, I don't know if that was exactly what he's thinking about, but that's what I'm thinking about when I read that. Who are the people in my life that tend to sin against me in the exact same way? It's people in my household, and I do the exact same thing to them. Okay? Again, Peter thinks he's being a hero. How about seven times, Jesus, aren't I really spiritual? And Jesus' response is, no, no, 70 times seven. Some translations say 70 plus seven. It doesn't matter, right? Because Jesus was not saying, Peter, forgive 77 times, and on the 78th time, then you have a right to revenge, right? He was not saying, forgive 490 times. 491, hold that grudge. The seven and ten were two complete numbers in Judaism. Perfection, completion. And Jesus is saying, basically, be infinite in your forgiveness. Always stand ready to forgive. Genuine forgiveness knows no boundaries. R.T. France, great commentator on Matthew, says, if one is still counting, one is not forgiving. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, persevering forgiveness. Some of you almost instantly are going to start thinking about, but aren't there some nuances and what about boundaries and blah? We'll get there. We may not get there this week. It may be next week, but I promise we'll get there. So even if you're traveling for Thanksgiving, come back, all right? Um, persevering sin, the second point, okay? you get this parable here, and it's obvious what's going on. Um. The king represents God. He forgave the slave. The slave had a fellow slave, another human being, and he refused to forgive. Now, this is where we have to have some nuance. Because does the teaching of Jesus, what we looked at last week, what we're looking at this week, mean? Let's just say Eric does something to offend me right after class. He says something. He kind of makes a joke. I don't like the joke. It hurts my feelings. I feel like Eric crossed the line like he often does. Just joking. Eric never crosses the line. And uh, in my heart, I kind of get angry. And it's 30 minutes into the worship service before I say, okay, I'm going to just forgive Eric. Well, I waited 30 minutes. So am I a non-Christian? Because I didn't... Obviously not. Here is a interesting yet scary thought to ponder. How long can a genuine, regenerate believer be in willful sin? Be hard heart, right? And we, we, listen, don't explore that answer personally. We know King David did it for at least nine months, right? Adultery, murder, cover up, not telling anybody because by the time he finally broke, when Nathan the prophet confronted him, the baby had already been born. So there is a season that a genuine, regenerate follower of God can harden their heart in different areas, including unforgiveness, and still be real. But part of the point of this is, if that person never breaks, if they never repent, if they never forgive, they're not a genuine Christian. Right? I mean, did you, did you see that in the parable? And we'll come back and make that even more clear by then. But think about James chapter 2, verse 14. Faith without works is what? It's dead. 
So if my faith in the forgiveness of God never produces forgiveness towards others in my life, my faith is dead. It's demonic faith. It's not real. It might be intellectually, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, but you're not resting in Him in your heart. Okay? So if somebody... Listen. Again, in college ministry, I can't tell you how many times... I mean, I <laughs> had this this week. Talking with a guy. I grew up in Alabama. And, you know, I've always been a Christian. Okay, you want to give people like that the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they're claiming to be John the Baptist. I think what they're saying is, as long as I can remember, I've always trusted in Christ, grew up in a good family, good church, right? And, but then he starts telling me the litany of just ongoing party lifestyle, sleeping around, blah, 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 that has continued up until like four days ago. So you've been a Christian, in your words, for 18 years, and yet it's really made no difference in your life. I'm not a good friend if I just sit there and say, well, of course you're a Christian because you got the doctrinal answers right. Saving faith always makes changes in us, right? Eventually in the long run. Not, not evenly. <laughs> it's gradual. It's slow but sure. It's one step forward, two steps back sometimes. But over the long haul of your life, there has to be sanctifying grace. I think it was Spurgeon that first said, you know, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith never stays alone. It sanctifies us, it grows us, and it ought to grow us in this, okay? Again, I mentioned this last week, but this is such a helpful quote. John MacArthur says, there is nothing more divine than to forgive. And, and my little corollary to that is, and then there's nothing more satanic to hold a grudge. The Reformation Study Bible said this, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. You don't get fully sanctified instantly, but eventually there's got to be progress. Keep your finger here in Matthew 18. We're coming right back. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 10, think about with me 1 John chapter 2 verse 19. This is a good verse to memorize because it's short and easy, but it's also it's helpful. John says in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, meaning apostates left the church, because they were never really of us. Make sense? It's never the case that you had salvation and you lose it. It's the question, did you ever really have it? You remember Matthew 7, maybe the most terrifying passage in the whole Bible? There will be many that say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? And didn't we in your name do many good works? And behold, I will say to them, I never knew you. We never had a real relationship. You thought we did, but we didn't. It's not like you had it and you lost it. Did you ever really have it? Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. Maybe this competes with uh, Matthew 7 for the scariest passage in the whole Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think that's the verse that Jonathan Edwards based his sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, after. 
But let's just let's just think about this for just a second. I mean, don't you kind of read that and say, "Are we sure this is not from the Old Testament?" And listen, right? There are Christian denominations that teach you can lose your salvation, and this is one of their favorite passages. And you understand why, right? Again, I think I used an illustration like this last week. If we were all locked in a North Korean prison camp together, and all we had was a scrap of the Bible, and we had Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, that's all we had. You'd probably think, yeah, you can lose your salvation. Now, you have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. That's obviously not what it's teaching, but what it is teaching is this. You can come really close. You can look like a genuine believer. You can be a part of the visible church. You can fake the elders out. You can pass the theology exam with flying colors. And you can still be as lost as a goat. And the evidence will be in the fruit of your life. And one of the clear evidences, back to Matthew 18, from this is, how do you practice and show forgiveness to others that offend you? No wonder Jesus said a part of your daily ritual of prayer in the Lord's Prayer ought to be, Father, help me forgive other people that have offended me. But that is not the typical Western way, right? The typical Western way is I just stuff it, I pretend like it didn't happen, I pretend like I'm Superman and I'm so tough, and that will get you to a really bad place. Don't do it. Matthew Henry Those who don't forgive their brother's trespasses did never truly repent of their own. And therefore, that which is taken away is only what they seemed to have. Right? They seemed to be saved, but they weren't. Listen, I think most of us know there are some sins we really better not play around with. Right? Like the sexual stuff, that gets a lot of press time in the church, and it should. It gets a lot of press time in the Bible. But guys, bitterness ought to be right there. A close second. Because listen, most people in sexual sin, they know it. Right? They're not confused. I know what I'm doing is wrong. I love it. I'm not going to quit. But I I know it's bad. But bitterness can be a lot more confusing. Bitterness keeps you warm at night sometimes, doesn't it? That person really hurt me. And it feels righteous to judge them for what they did. Be careful. Okay? Listen, Satan's goal is to drive a wedge between every true believer and God and also to drive a wedge between every true believer and every other true believer. And the cl- listen, if he can't drive a wedge between you and God, almost certainly his next goal is draw a wedge between you and your spouse. You and your kids, whoever are the other Christians in your life that are the closest to you. So watch out for this. But remember, Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know who are true believers and who are not true believers, who are false believers. Right? God does. He doesn't. So, the last night before Jesus was arrested, Satan sifted Judas like wheat. And it turned out he got him. Because Judas wasn't a real believer. He also sifted Peter like wheat, right? And he didn't get him. They both sinned pretty bad. The difference was Peter wept over his sin and came back to Jesus. 
Judas wept over his sin and tried to handle it himself. Listen, Reverend Barker used to have this great phrase that I love. Faith that fizzles before the finish was false from the first. There's got to be some element of persevering grace and mercy showing up in my life. So the third point, persevering mercy. And you, you might get asked the question this way. What about forgiving a monster? And I'll explain what I mean in just a second. I mean, even the illustration I've used this morning. What if Eric said something to me, a joke, and it kind of hurt my feelings? And most of us, if we get honest, we've probably had a situation like that before, right? A friend makes a joke in our presence that to us is kind of maybe at our expense, and it hurts our feelings just a little bit. And then 30 minutes later, we're praying, especially if we have to go to church, right? Okay, God, you've been so mur- Help me forgive. Great. But what if you're dealing with a spouse and there has been repeat sexual sin? Ongoing porn addiction. What if you got like a best friend that married somebody that's verbally abusive to your best friend? And you're angry at the continual verbal abuse. What if you've been in a job situation where you feel like you've been continually held down and held back because of your faith or something? And it is like in some sense really hurts your finances and your career chances. See, the key to understanding this parable in one sense is understanding the, the money. And at first glance, most of us don't because we're like, well, I don't use talents and denarii you know, when I go to the gas station. Okay. But in today's money, a hundred denarii might represent maybe three months' wages. Again, it kind of changed and fluctuates, right? They, they had a fluctuating economy, so do we. But in general, it might be like $20,000. It's significant, but not that. I mean, worst case scenario is like, I might have to get a loan, might have to empty all my savings in retirement, but if I had to pay off the 20000 right now, by golly, you know, I guess I could do it. Okay, But listen... The 10,000 talents, right, that the first slave owed to the king. 10,000 was the largest specific number they had in Greek, in the language. And talent was the largest sum of money they had. So it's probably not that Jesus was trying to think of an exact amount. It would be more like if we just said, he owes that guy zillions. I mean, zillion isn't even a real number. And if you did try to compute, what would that equal today? We're talking billions. Probably somewhere between 6 and $40 billion. And he's a slave. So what's the point? He could have never repaid it. It was impossible. When he falls on his knees and says, I'm sorry, just give me time and I'll pay it back. He's a liar. Or a fool or both because it would be impossible. He would have never gotten out of jail. He would have never paid the debt. So here's the real key, guys, for all of us. We have to learn to see our sin is that gigantic, is that big, is that ugly. And most of the time, most of us, myself included, we don't. We are great at watching the news and hearing about all these other scandalous sinners out there. They're the wicked people that deserve to burn. And yes, I have right theology. All sin would send me to hell. But let's just be honest. My sin is much more white-collar domesticated. Right? When Jerry Bridges wrote the book, Respectable Sins, he was thinking about me. Because I am so nice and put together. 
So the first time I was teaching on this passage, probably been 15 years ago, I, li- I was in this, I was in Sojourner Sunday School class right over here, and I remember it because it stands out to me. I've been studying this passage during the week, and I'm not making this up. And I literally heard a story. Somebody didn't even know I was studying. Just told, I told me a story about, and this happened in the Bur- Greater Birmingham area, about a family, a professing Christian family, and. The FBI had come into the home because it had come out that the husband had been making child porn using the children. And if somebody was relaying this story to me, they said, yeah, and the wife is actually going to visit him today in prison. And my mind was just kind of reeling, like, why? Why is she going to visit? What's she going to say? I, I mean, right? I mean, I didn't even know the people. But something rises up in my heart that wants to murder somebody at that point, right? How do you forgive somebody like that? Again, some of y'all are saying, oh, wait, are you not saying there shouldn't be law and order in Martin? I'm not saying any of that. I'm talking about in your heart, forgiving that individual. It's like that, it's like that murder of Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Okay. How, um, they had all these like Netflix... 30-year anniversary documentaries out, and he evidently came to Christ. I've heard that. And I was like, a couple weeks ago, I was, was, you know, reading about that, I was like, whoa, wait a second, hold on. Like, I believe the gospel, but maybe not in that situation. There you go. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up, Alan, because I've heard the same thing. Now listen, Jeffrey, I have heard that Jeffrey Dahmer came to Christ in prison. Do we know for sure if it's real? No. That's not the point. Here's the point. When you hear that, what happens in your heart? Do you think, no freaking way? Then you don't really get the gospel. Or do you think, maybe. Maybe me and him are going to be next to our neighbors in heaven. Hello? And why don't we get it? I think the main problem is we don't get the depth of our own sin. That within my heart, within your heart, there is seed potential to be the next Jeffrey Dahmer or Hitler or whatever. Apart from the saving grace of God. Again, we know it intellectually. We don't feel it at a heart level in the basement of our soul. So, here's the last thought. Okay. Verse 35, I got the New American Standard, which tends to be the most literal translation in the English. Okay? Excuse me. Verse 34, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. Now, I bet some of you got the ESV. What does it put for torturers? The jailers, which is a a fair translation, but it's a little bit of a softening, right? It's a little bit more palatable to us. Jesus has, He's going to turn them over to the torture. And some people try to interpret this and say, well, this is saying God will discipline you until... This is saying is if you never practice forgiveness, you're not a real Christian, you're going to go to hell and you're going to suffer for it. So, what's the application, guys, is this. What we need to do, and this is going to seem counterintuitive, but you really want to have a deeper experience of the Gospel so that you can practice the Gospel more fully to other people... We need to spend more time and energy meditating on our own sin. How heinous it is. How wicked it is. Even the little white-collar domesticated sins. 
Because then when I, and listen, don't stop there. If all you do is meditate on your sin, you're going to be a weird, depressed person and nobody will like you, all right? And you're not going to be very effective in trying to tell other people about the glory of Jesus. But what I'm saying is you start there. You meditate on your sin enough so that when you do spend more time meditating on the beauty of Christ, the cross of Christ, the grace of Christ, your sin is the backdrop and it starts to have a lot more significance, right? Oh, Christ forgave me for that? I mean, you want to talk about the real repeat offender? It's me and you against the Lord Jesus, right? I mean, how many sins in our lives have we literally had to ask Him to forgive us for thousands of times? And we're not even that old, right? And then how many of our sins should we be asking for forgiveness thousands of times but we just forget? So we don't think they're that big of a deal. And He's so merciful, He just covers with grace. Matthew Henry has this great quote. He says, There's no such thing as a little sin because there's no such thing as a little God to sin against. In light of all this, William Hendrickson said, we should be yearning to forgive right? and eagerness to forgive. So, last thought, we're done. Don't answer this one out loud. Just think about it later. When is the last time, even for just a second... You thought you felt like, I really deserve to be in hell right now. You did, you did something so big, so bad, maybe just so repeat, that in your personal time alone with the Lord, you're like, I deserve hell. You felt just an ounce of it. And then when you thought, but, but I'm not. And I'm not going there because of the blood of Jesus. And it's, it's so freeing. It's so liberating. It's so exciting. You want to stand up and start singing. You might even start wanting to write poetry or something. This stuff is good, man. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Here's the reality. That's a right feeling. Every time we sin, we deserve to go to hell. But we don't have to if we're in Christ because He went to hell for us. So no matter what somebody does towards us, we should always be quick to forgive because He's been so quick to forgive us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see our sin as more weighty, as more serious. So we'd be more sober-minded to hate it, to not do it again. But when we do do it, to really grieve, to have a sense of real soul mourning. But that we wouldn't stay there. But when we would look back to the cross, when we think again of your resurrection and the hope that you give us, there would just be joy unspeakable. So that when somebody sins against us, it would seem small in comparison. No matter how big and bad their sin is against us, Lord, I really pray that because we would have such a right view of our offense against you, that sins against us would seem small in comparison. Please make that a reality. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.